0: When our governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, was elected to the office of governor of the state of California, people started calling him the governator. I'd like to talk about the governator this morning, but not about Arnold Schwarzenegger. I want to talk about our governator. Maurice Nicole said, It is not desires of sex or power that govern the world, but negative emotions. He further said, This applies to each of us. It's not desires of sex and power that govern us. Our governator is negative emotions. That's what governs us. Governor and terminator is the combination that was used to make governator. And I promise you that that's a good term for us and our negative emotions because our negative emotions are terminators and they govern us. So thus, governator. We're governed by negative emotions and our ignorance of this truth is what ensures their continued power over us. As long as we remain ignorant of the fact, that we are being governed and controlled, run, owned, and operated by negative emotions. We remain in their power without any hope of ever getting outside of their power. Why should we? The work teaches that the emotional center is born in us free of a negative part. When you're born, there's no negative part in your emotional center. There is no way for you to feel and experience negative emotions because you don't have a part in your emotional center that can experience negative emotions. But because we're born amongst sleeping people who are all deeply under the power of negative emotions, we quickly acquire a negative part of the emotional center, which increases as we live in this world and as we associate with sleeping people, as we take our place among the sleeping people of the world governed by negative emotions. At first, we don't belong, but we work hard to learn how to belong, and how we learn that is by learning negative emotions, by learning how to have and be controlled by, governed by negative emotions. Of course, all this is done unconsciously by us. It's acquired, it's not learned really, it's imitated. And so once we've acquired it, we operate out of it. For right valuation, the work must become emotional. This is our problem because what we have for an emotional center now is primarily a negative part Something has to happen with the emotional center in order for us to really understand and value this work. We can't value the work with our emotional center as it is, which means contaminated by negative emotions, polluted by negative emotions, fouled by negative emotions, which govern us. We must see for ourselves the truth of this or the work can't touch the emotional center. It's not enough for you to hear this. You have got to see your own dependence upon and governance by negative emotions before this work can ever do anything in you at all, really do anything in you at all. Of course, it can have an effect on your personality. You can take the work ideas and you can add them to your personality and become even more arrogant than you started out, even more of a know-it-all, even more of a lord it over everybody, even more of a whatever. Whatever it is you were, it can help you to be more of that. The strange thing about this work is if it falls on the right place, it can transform you into an entirely new kind of being. If it falls on the wrong place in you, it can make you worse at what you already are. It can make you more negative and more justified in your negativity. It can make you more violent and more justified in your violence. It can go either way depending upon where it falls. That's why they say this work is dangerous, and this work is dangerous, because if it falls on the wrong part of a man, or a woman. Then it makes them worse. If it falls on the right part, then for a long time it could make their life a lot worse, but it will make them, it will begin to transform them into a new kind of being. The problem is when you're transforming into a new kind of being, you're between two worlds. You're not yet this, but you're no longer that completely. And if you're living in that world and you're no longer that, you start to become an outcast of that world. You start to become a misfit in that world. But yet you're not able to enter fully into the other world that you will enter into when you completely transform. So it's like a cocoon. The caterpillar spins this cocoon and it emerges a butterfly, but it's not a butterfly while it's in the cocoon. It's something between a caterpillar and a butterfly. So we are in this cocoon in a sense. And fortunately, the work can protect us to a certain extent if we can allow it. But we can't allow it if we don't value it. And we can't value it if we don't begin to cleanse the emotional center. Because the emotional center, as I said, is operating improperly because it has acquired this negative part, which thrives on negative emotions. And the real part, the emotional center that thrives on real emotion, is unknown to us, or nearly unknown to us, which creates a huge problem for us. Now, the work, if it remains in external memory in the formatory part of the intellectual center, will have no power to affect our life. Obviously, as you have already observed with your own self, most of the work stays in the formatory part of your intellectual center. And very slowly and painfully sometimes does it ever get into the emotional center. That means that we have to see a lot of things about ourselves, about how we love negative emotions and about what they do and stop justifying them. And that can be very painful because you see a whole history of your violence, your hatred, your animosity, your pettiness, your self-love. And when you begin to get the smell or the taste of a real emotion, then those things look kind of noxious and you have a tendency to judge yourself very harshly. And when you do, it can be very, very painful. That's the uh, conundrum. This work aims at awakening the emotional center because it's in a very bad state of impurity, awash in negative emotions. It is the governator. The negative part of the emotional center is our governator. It is governing us and terminating us at the same time. And why do I say terminating us? Because if personality is allowed to, it will terminate essence. It will absolutely terminate it. It will make it non-existent. At first, it simply makes it passive so that who you really are cannot come out or can only come out when the governator isn't looking, when it's not paying full attention or when it thinks it's not going to matter. As we are, we have a rich reservoir of negative emotions and general unhappiness. General unhappiness and discontent is our ground of being, and we lie about it. No, oh, I'm happy, am well, as happy as anybody else, happy as anybody can be in this circumstance, happy as anybody in this world. What does that mean? Well, how happy can you be in the pain factory of life? <laughs> how happy can you be living here? And the answer to that is blissfully happy. And we don't know that because we are governed by negative emotions. You cannot be happy for long with negative emotions governing you. Interestingly, I think it's interesting, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom, Luke 18:25. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, I've heard this a number of ways. One way is a camel, the animal, going through the eye of a needle. That's obviously not possible. Another way I heard it was there are big needles that they use to make tents in the Middle East or that they use during those times to make tents. So the eye of the needle was bigger. And the word that's for camel in Aramaic is also, with a slight change, the word for rope. And these big needles, you could actually get a rope, small rope, through the eye of that needle. Maybe I have that wrong. As I recall, the word is gamla, and it can either be camel or rope. As I said, I've heard it that way and it doesn't matter to me at all because the truth is that our wealth is negative emotions and the kingdom that we could enter is this kingdom of transformation of freedom from negative emotions. If we'll take, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom, and understand that in the language of parables, which is the esoteric language that parables were spoken in, it is one of the meanings of this, one of the meanings of this saying, this parable, is that our wealth, you can look at our wealth in a number of ways. One way to look at it is the way we're looking at it now, our wealth of negative emotions, our wealth of unhappiness. We have a reservoir of negative emotions and general unhappiness, a wealth. It's like it could never be drained. Can you ever imagine not being able to be unhappy? I mean, because we know that the slightest thing could make you unhappy. An earthquake could make you unhappy. A child's death could make you unhappy. Somebody running into your car can make you unhappy. Breaking your leg can make you unhappy. When you think of the hundreds of thousands of things that could make you unhappy, we are rich in unhappiness. We are rich in the potential for negative emotions because unhappiness is a negative emotion. We have a wealth of that. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. What kingdom? The kingdom of transformation, the kingdom of an expanding consciousness, the kingdom of being able to be born again, be a new creature, be something other than this machine that we have acquired and that we are stuck in, be something other than the armor that has encased us now. We can't get out of our armor. We acquired this armor to protect ourselves, to protect essence from the world. And what happened was we got locked in and we forgot how to get out of it. And now this work offers a way to get out of that armor. But first of all, we have to see that we can survive out of the armor. And as it is, we don't see that. This is our justification for negative emotions. We think we need them to survive. We think we need fear to survive. We believe that fear is our salvation, that fear has saved us from any number of harrowing experiences that would have killed us. Fear of strange things prevented us from eating something poisonous or drinking something poisonous. Fear of this or that prevented us from getting some disease. Or The list is almost endless, how we worship fear as our salvation. If we continue to believe in our negative emotions, it's impossible to pass from the note me. And I know you remember what that is because we've talked about it two weeks now. What is the note Me personal difficulties good man you got it wrong last week so you remember this week and this is one of the great things about failure in front of people failure in front of people gets our attention and we make a note not to make that mistake again now it's all pride and vanity but where we are at we can just move a little bit in the violin case and that's all right we use it to our advantage even pride and vanity can be used to our advantage the proof of that is it's pride that got you into the work If you think anything else got you into the work, you're right if you think it was magnetic center. But what fooled your intellect into getting into it when your magnetic center was drawing you into it was pride. And if you don't see that, that's okay. Just be willing to see it. Just be willing to admit that it's possible, even for someone as humble and wonderful as you. Now, How humble and wonderful can go together, I don't know. But somehow we make them just fit together like a hand in a glove. So if we continue to believe our negative emotions in our negative emotions, I don't mean believe that they are there. I mean, we believe in them. We believe that they save us. We believe that they are necessary for our survival. We continue to believe that we can't pass from personal difficulties to denote fa. Realizing this truth makes it possible for us to receive help to pass from me to fa. What is fa? We haven't really talked about what fa is. The best I can do right now is fa is the space of transformation for us. Fa is the space of transformation and it's a space that you cannot get into on your own. It's a space that you can only get into by receiving help from beyond you, from outside of you, from outside of your system. Now, is there help from outside of your system? Really, that was the question that we had this morning. Is there a possibility? Is there any help from outside of our system, outside of the machine. Yes, yes there is. But we're stuck inside the machine. Yes, yes we are. But we can get in a place, we can move a little bit in there, and we can get in a place, even inside the machine, where help can reach us. And that's our hope. So, to move from personal difficulties to the space of transformation, doesn't mean you don't have personal difficulties anymore. It means that now you can transform them. To free ourselves from this background of this rich reservoir of negative emotions and general unhappiness, to free ourselves from that, we must work real, practical work against negative emotions. How? By not identifying with them, by not consenting to them. There are times when we are so identified with a negative emotion that we cannot not identify with them. Okay, fine. In that case, don't consent to it. Don't say yes to it. Don't go with it not believing in them, and separating our feeling of I from them. You have to introduce this idea that negative emotions are noxious, that even though you believe that they save you, they only lead you down to violence and other nasty things that we'll talk about. But you've got to see this for yourself by self-study, that negative emotions always lie, always lie. When they're not lying outright directly, they are taking some shred of fact or truth and twisting it and distorting it. They always deny, and negative emotions always hate. You may think they don't, but they always hate. This is the truth about negative emotions. You need this knowledge to become real for you. You need to, through self-observation, see that negative emotions always hate, always separate, and always lead down to violence. Hate, violence, and fear form the triad, one leaning upon the other. And you remember you have to have a triad to manifest anything. So what do you suppose that hate, violence, and fear, that triad manifests? Well, let me tell you what it manifests. It manifests misery, general unhappiness, misery, a whole field of misery in which all kinds of negative emotions and troubles and problems propagate. We will not pass through the needle until we know all about how we lie and then observe lying in ourselves and you're not going to know about how you lie you're going to hear about how you lie but you're not going to really know about how you lie until you can observe lying in yourself the problem with that is there's so many kinds of lying (laughs) think of how many different ways there are to lie think of how many ways you lie Well, I didn't actually say it was that way. I just let them believe it. Omission. You lie through omission. The opportunity to tell the truth. Somebody gives you credit for something you didn't do, but you don't tell the truth. You just omit that fact and you allow them to believe something that's not true. That is lying. Let's think about some of the other forms of lying. One form of lying is how we tell things, how we relate things, how we write things, how we express things that always put ourselves in a good light. We always have some way to cast a good light on ourselves no matter what. And it doesn't matter who else it costs. And that's in the, see, that's in negative emotions. It doesn't matter what it costs you. It doesn't matter what it costs somebody else. It doesn't matter what it costs your spouse for you to tell a story so that you appear in a good light. You're not deliberately trying to put your spouse in a bad light consciously. But the truth is that negative emotions are going to put you in a good light. And it doesn't matter who has to be in the shadow, who has to look bad. It doesn't matter. Good. Okay, as long as you got that one, we'll move right along. We don't need to beat that one to death. (laughs) Every time we say I, the truth is we're really lying. Every time we say I, the truth is we are actually lying. Which I? (laughs) Which I? If we were to say, well, an I, an I in here thinks, or the I with which I'm identified at the moment says, thinks, feels. If we were able to do that, and I don't mean mechanically, I've heard people who could do that mechanically, but they were identified with their vanity. They were doing it mechanically. They were doing it rote. It was memorization. It was intellectual memory. It resided in the intellectual memory, and it just become a mechanical reaction. And then, fortunately, I've, I've seen people who did that see that they were doing that and stop doing it, which is very encouraging. it's really encouraging because when you see the work working in somebody's life and you didn't do anything to make it happen, that is the greatest thing in the world because then you begin to realize that it's the work that does it and not you. That it's the work and not some teacher. That it's the work and not some group. That it's the work and not some person. That it really is something intelligent that comes from greater mind, from something greater than you and I and greater than all of us put together. For a long time we say, I, with such confidence, I think, I feel, I'm going to do this, I will do that, I will. We say that as if we actually could think about it. We say that as if there were really no doubt, no question about it. And for a long time, we actually believe that. It's not even believe it, we are totally encased in that illusion that there is actually an eye, an eye, a single eye, the illusion of imaginary eye. And as I've said many times before, and this of course comes from Four Feathers, that film, we walk the earth too proudly. And for me, I remember that on a daily basis because I realize the truth of it so profoundly in my being that now when I even hear it, it touches something deep inside of me. It calls on something deep inside of me, work memory. And it gets me to face the direction of my nothingness. It gets me to see and remember my nothingness, which is always, always, always a most valuable thing. It takes a bitter dose to weaken these powerful illusions. But slowly we come to accept and endure what we are. (laughs) Curtis was telling me that when he called Tammy on her birthday, he said, well, she started to talk about what a horrible person she was. Are you shaking your head now? Yeah, okay, well, whatever. But the fact is, that just proves my point. That is the purpose of using this as an illustration. There was a time you would not talk about what a horrible person you were. There was a time that you would have smacked somebody for suggesting it. And now you're saying, oh, you know, this is the way I am. And the bottom line is is that we learn, slowly we come to accept and endure what we are, which is the only way to accept and endure others, if you think about it. And, you know, the truth is, is that you were nicer to people now that you know what a jerk you are or maybe you don't know what a jerk you are the rest of us know of course but we haven't told you because you get so upset but (laughs) but you're beginning to get the picture yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) you're beginning to get the picture and see and that's the only way it can happen we have to see this for ourselves I could tell you your husband can tell you your mother could tell you your father could tell you and all they're gonna do is draw your ire your wrath your negative emotions your self-defense your self-justification. But when we see it for ourselves, it's much more difficult to justify it. When you're looking at it, it's much more difficult to say, well, it's not there. There's no one forcing your nose in it. You are smelling it yourself. And it's nasty and you say, oh, that's nasty. But slowly we begin to accept and endure it. And the benefit of that is we begin to accept and endure others. And that's nice because already it makes life a little bit easier. When we can accept and endure others, it makes life a little bit easier. We know that this too shall pass. This is changeable. They're changeable. Some other eye is going to be in control in a moment. Just wait five minutes. They'll be totally different. Even if for only for a few seconds, they'll be different. And then they may revert back. But... They can't stay there because nothing in this universe can remain static. All this remains impossible to us if we continue to believe in negative emotions. We can never begin to know ourselves through impure emotions. Impure emotions are like curved, distorted glass or glass that's, you know, they have glass in bathrooms that, what do they call that, frosted Then they have some that has crackled and different different kinds of glass that you can't actually really see through. You can tell there's somebody on the other side of it. You're standing outside and you, you may be able to see a shadow and if there's light behind them. You may be able to see, distinguish that it might be a person, but that's all you can tell. You can't really see much else. You can't tell who it is. You can pretend you know who it is. You can pretend a lot of things. You can imagine a lot of things. That doesn't make any of them true just means that imagination satisfies every single center and we will accept it as the truth itself, which is incredibly dangerous. Ouspensky said, impure emotions give obscure knowledge in the same way that as impure glass gives a confused image. Pure emotion gives clear, pure image. We wouldn't really know that about pure emotion because there isn't much of anything that we can see purely and get the right image of it because we are so impure with negative emotions. Our emotional center, the negative part of the emotional center, has sullied the emotional center to such a degree that we cannot see purely, we cannot see accurately, we cannot see correctly. So what we have in the meantime is we have these glasses called the work that we put on and we look through these glasses and we learn to see through these glasses. But the first thing we learn to see is ourselves. We learn to see what we actually are. We begin to see a true image of ourselves. That is, the false personality that we have acquired, that we have allowed our sense of self to be encapsulated in, to be imprisoned in. He went on to say, avoid the trap of moral and immoral emotions. It's simpler if you avoid that trap of immoral and moral emotions. As you can tell, it's very difficult for us to avoid that trap because we're in it, because you believe there are right feelings and wrong feelings. And now, the only way to avoid that trap is intellectually. You must now begin to set traps, tripwires, so that when you start to go down that way, a can with some rocks in it shakes, or a light goes off, or a flag goes up, something. You have to have some kind of an alarm clock that wakes you up in that moment, and you pay attention to that, and you don't go with that. You don't go with that belief, that mechanical reaction, that there are immoral and moral emotions. The truth is there is no such thing as an immoral emotion and there is no such thing as a moral emotion. There are only two kinds of emotions, real emotions and unreal emotions. A real emotion has no opposite. Unreal emotions have opposites. Unreal emotions can change into something else. You say you love, but what you call love can change into hatred so quickly. This is what domestic violence is. It is an observable instance of a negative emotion, love, turning into what it is, hate and violence and that's it i'm not going to expand on that if you don't see that then look for it if you don't want to see it then you are believing in moral and immoral and sentimental emotions and sentimental emotions are negative emotions they are not real because they have an opposite Pure means no admixtures of other emotions in it. That's what pure means. There can be pure sympathy manifesting as compassion. Impure sympathy is when it's mixed with the idea of receiving something for one's sympathy. You see how it's impure? Already the self has got a way to horn in on it and try and get something for itself. That's an impure emotion. It's not pure sympathy because it's not pure compassion. It's not pure sympathy. It can't lead to compassion because it's self-based. It's self-interest, self-love, self self evaluation and the other person for whom you are supposedly having sympathy or compassion is a means to get something for yourself. You have become what the false personality is, a parasite that sucks the life out of others for itself. Pure love of knowledge for its own sake or love of knowledge mixed with utility and profit. Pure love of knowledge for its own sake. Well, we may not know much about that, but you may. I don't know you. You may. You may know something about pure love of knowledge for its own sake. But I guarantee you that if you're sitting here, you know about love of knowledge mixed with utility and profit. You know about taking knowledge and using it for your own profit or using it for something. You know about that, not just for the pure love of knowledge in and of itself. So you can see the admixture of self again. Outwardly, these differences may appear to be very little. You see someone in a library studying, and they're pouring over books, and it looks like they love knowledge. And then you see someone else right next to that person, and they're pouring over books, and it looks like they love knowledge. But one of them is using them just for his own gain, and the other one is using it just because he loves knowledge. But you can't tell the difference by looking at them. Maybe this is what he meant when he said, judge not by appearances, but judge righteous judgment. You know, don't judge by how it appears to you, but judge by how it actually is. Since you don't know how it actually is, it's better to withhold judgment. It's better just to leave it open-ended. I don't know. I've told you, uh, I don't know how many times, get comfortable with the space of not knowing. And I thought of this the other day, maybe it'd be better to say, be uncomfortable with the space of knowing. I did say this the other day. When you feel like you know something, man, let that be a red flag let that shake that wire and shake those rocks and those cans and ring that bell and turn those lights on and send those flags up let it wave a flag in your face get out of that state as quickly as you can that state will lead you to the worst possible place it will lead you deeper into prison self-interest pollutes emotions by mixing with them and fouling the emotional center they can only be purged at the expense of oh are you ready for this they can only be purged at the expense of vanity Mr. Bill. What, what a horrible thing. What a horrible thought. We would actually have to, our vanity is going to suffer. Our vanity is going to suffer. Th- yes, because that means us. That, because we are, we are our vanity. And so that means we will suffer. And this is useful, necessary suffering. We walk right into the place where we're going to suffer. Consciously, knowingly, we take ourselves by the scruff of the neck, as it were, and we bring our vanity right into the washroom and we allow it to be scrubbed. We allow it to be stripped right there in front of God and everybody. And we allow it to be humiliated and we allow it to be scrubbed. And it takes a good scrubbing and not just one. <laughs> not just one. It reminds me of that story in, in, uh, in the Old Testament about the priest who an angel brings before God and he's just filthy, he's got these filthy rags on stinky, smelly, filthy, disgusting rags that he's wearing. And the angel strips him bare naked. You know. And he's standing there naked. And then he gives him a whole new set of clothes, you know, fresh, clean clothes. And this is what has to happen to us. But what prevents us from being stripped is our vanity. And so, in a very real sense, it does take an angel to do that. It takes a power beyond us because we have such a difficult time handling our vanity, handling our pride. Such a difficult time because we're operating from within it. And it's so hard to make it do anything from within it because it's making us do everything. It's only some outside power, some outside force, some outside leverage is a better way to put it, rather than power or force, but some outside leverage, some outside perspective, some outside truth that can act on it in a new way, giving us some freedom from it. Emotions must be prepared to be organs of knowledge in the same way that we wash a glass that's had something else in it before we fill it with pure water to drink. We've got to purge the emotional center so that it can become a vessel for pure emotions, for real emotions, for real knowledge, for true knowledge. It is impossible to know through impure emotions. It is impossible to know. To properly understand the world, to properly understand ourselves and our relationship to the world and others, we must undertake the purification of our emotions. This is the last thing that we want to do because we realize how much it's going to cost us and we don't like to pay. How difficult it is to see how much we love negative emotions, how we obscure them in clouds of self-justifying. It's astounding. It's just astounding. You can't see it so much in yourself, but look at other people. It's like, oh my God, they can justify anything, anything that they do, anything that they think, anything that they feel, they can justify it. That's right. And you are one of them. When we're looking at you, that's what we're seeing. It's only when we look at ourselves that our self-justification seems justified. We look at somebody else and we think the only time we'll ever admit at all when their self-justification looks justified is when we're using the same justification for ourselves. Then we're kindred spirits. Then we understand. We have camaraderie. We have compassion. Compassion is not compassion at all. It's agreement. It's validation. Yeah, but it's certainly, it's self-serving. There's nothing pure about that at all. It's for us. We are simply doing it so that we can validate our own self-justification. When we can begin to catch ourselves enjoying self-pity, when we can begin to catch ourselves enjoying martyrdom, when we can begin to catch ourselves enjoying suffering and pain, that's a tough one, but it happens. We're pulling on the linchpin of the negative part of the emotional center. It may take a while to loosen it enough to set the wheel wobbling, but we have to persist in the face of the effect that it's going to have on self-love and self-justification. And it's going to have a huge impact on self-love and self-justification. As you've already found out, by the depression that you experience when you start to see things about yourself that you could not admit before, when you actually see them, and you say, well, there it is. There's, there's no way to get around it. I am seeing it. No one's telling me this. I have discovered this myself and it's there and it's observable and it's repeatable. I can see how I've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. When you see that, you have verified the truth of what this work says, the knowledge that you received through this work. When you have verified that truth and it becomes practically applicable to yourself, there's no turning back on that. You will be different from that moment on that will never be able to catch you, trip you, snag you the way it did. And even when it does, you will free yourself much more quickly. Now, that could be years, but still, there's the possibility of freeing yourself. Make these self-feelings like red flags to alert you to the dangerous negative emotions and their powerful triad of fear, hate, and violence. When you start having self-feelings, just let that be an alarm clock for you. When you're thinking about yourself, what will become of me? What's this going to mean to me? How will this affect me? What does he, she think of me? What do I think of me? How do I look? When you start thinking like that, when you catch any smell of that, any whiff of that, just make it a point right then to remember yourself. Make it a point right then to bring the work memory up. To remember, what is it the work tells me? Put your glasses on. Put your work glasses on. Get that in front of your eyes so that you can begin to see a little more clearly. Trust the work when it says that negative emotions always lie, twist, distort, deny, and hate. They are murderers and liars with lips that drip honey, hiding a tongue like a poison dagger. And just one nick from that dagger, one nick because it's poisoned, is enough to kill. So beware and handle it, just like it is a very sharp two-edged poisoned dagger. Handle your negative emotions just that way. Be very careful with them. Do not go with them. Do not allow them. Do not justify them. Relentlessly turn away from them. Relentlessly bring the work up to smash your belief in them, to crush your belief in them, to dispel the illusion that they are your salvation. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.